Welcome to Film Flam. Once again, today we are covering one of our rare box office successes, Colin. Was it really? I honestly would have never guessed that. I know. Isn't that shocking? I just have realized that I am not able to predict this at all. Budget was 2.9 to 3 million. Pretty narrow range. The box office was 4.4 million. Wow. Dollars. So, you know, a little bit of a success there. I'm so thankful that I have you to to tell me that every film. Because for some reason, <laughs> yeah. I don't pay attention to the box office. But it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, you only pay attention to what Roger Ebert says. That's true. Although <laughs> he the didn't review this film. There's a review on his Dude. website by fucking like Jim, I don't know, somebody else. Some Jim piece of shit. I, yeah, I went to check to hope that someone would help me understand this film. And I thought I'll turn to Roger Ebert. And I read the whole review and then saw that it was by some Jim fucker. Yeah, Jim Emerson, I think. But he did give it four stars, which is interesting. But he did. you don't need him, Sean. You can turn to me and I'll explain everything about this film. <laughs> That's true. It's I, elementary to interpret well. a Lynch film like this. For me, That is least. very good to hear. Yep. But before we talk about Inland Empire, which I'm so... I'm literally dying to hear your thoughts about it. But... Nice. I want to tell you about my new Letterboxd account that I made. <laughs> okay, let's go. So I did obviously shit on Letterboxd uh, at first. and I Which you had no basis in doing. Your whole argument was that you wanted to not be social. Which doesn't make any sense because this podcast is inherently social. So yeah, I was lying to myself and everyone. Shit. But I have since changed my ways. I made an account and literally... <laughs> Days in, I have hundreds more films cataloged than you do. I have over 500 films compared to your 65, and over 180 in my watch list compared to your measly 59. My account name is FilmFlamColin, in case anybody wants to follow me. You have surpassed my account on the few quantifiable metrics that there are. That does not mean you have surpassed it in the ways that really count. I do need to apparently make a film flam Sean. That being said, though, do email us at realfilmflampod at gmail. Oh, dude, we have an email. There literally should be one in the inbox right now waiting for us. No. Oh, wait, we have one. We have an email. Okay, should we save that till the end? I feel like that should be an ending segment, the mailbag. Yes. Okay, yeah, sure, that sounds good. Yes. Oh, I can't wait. All right, dude, without further ado, let's get into our film of the week, David Lynch's Inland Empire. Now, I hope that you're going to do the heavy lifting in this episode. I hope that you have a deep interpretation to lay on us all. Absolutely not. In fact, I came in prepared to say that to you. So, (laughs) (laughs) Really? Oh no. Dude. That doesn't bode well, does it? My brain is so empty of interesting thoughts that I feel like that has to be the topic of conversation. This movie was so fucking confusing to me. Um and I really I feel like I should I I mean I am interested actually in getting your thoughts on approaching a movie like this, but I do feel like the fact that I have seen and loved Mahan Drive so much should have let me come in with the ability to like be comfort be comfortable with the lack of linearity and like the, not a lot of stuff not making sense but i still felt like i was trying to grasp at straws throughout which is just not how you 
watch a lunch. So I know like, exactly what you mean about yeah. grasping at straws. I definitely felt similarly. So overall, though, did you like Inland Empire? Yeah, I liked it. Why? For what reasons? And how much? <laughs> Those are three great questions. I liked it because it was like surreal and moody and atmospheric which is like what I like. I like those the scenes where it's just like a lot of shit's going on. You can tell there's a ton of meaning behind whatever it is, but you don't really know why. Like I, I, I dig that vibe. Yeah, it was very evocative. You feel a lot of emotions during this film. How much did I like it? Honestly, on this first watch, not a crazy amount, if I'm being honest. Okay, okay, but... Does that imply that you're planning future watches? I'm absolutely planning future watches, yes. I feel like this is, like Mulholland Drive, the first time I watched it, I feel like I didn't pay that much attention, and I was like, this is fucking sick in some way, but I don't get it. And I still don't feel like I get Mulholland Drive, but I get it a lot more than I did the first time, and there's just so much there. So I'm hoping that I have the same experience with Inland Empire. But it really does have a distinct feel from, like, Mulholland Drive. Like, the aesthetic has some similarities, and you still have, like, the... Those like weird like red curtains that Lynch seems to love, but um, but it, it is like shot very very differently and is overall a very different vibe. Yeah, the aesthetic and how it's shot is so interesting. There's like so many close-ups, really a lot of handheld camera work. A lot of the shots to me seem like reality yeah. TV language and things like that. It's very interesting, and it almost gives it like a cheap amateur home video feel absolutely but that's clearly like what he's trying to to convey with it so it's really interesting and i think i read he used some like low-end camera digital camera uh that like didn't even shoot in 24 frames or something weird like that wow yeah so it's the whole feel and how it looks is so interesting do you think there's like any particular intention with that Ah, oh, man. Yeah, I, I really don't know. I mean, I think maybe it's like adding another perspective to the weird, like, sort of reality splicing that's going on and, like, what's in the film and what's not. But, yeah, I don't know. What do you think? Maybe that, because it's a film a little bit about, you know, making films, yet it doesn't itself look like a Hollywood film. But obviously they're in yeah. Hollywood making this film. So it's kind of, like, ironic in a sense, maybe. I'm, I'm not sure, yeah. though. I will say I'm getting a little bit annoyed with all the like films that like are portraying the making of films in one way or another. I mean like um, Mulholland Drive was like that. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I don't know if you've seen that, but like I have, yeah. I do find it a little bit. I don't think this is like a deep critique at all. It's a it's aesthetically when there's a lot of films that are sort of about films, it just feels kind of navel gazy. Yeah, that makes sense. This is similar to Mulholland Drive in that way. I think a lot of people have compared it as like a companion film to Mulholland Drive. I would definitely not be surprised if I actually feel that Lynch was like trying to explore similar themes. uh, Yeah, because this is his next film after Mulholland, right? Yeah, yeah, because Mulholland is two thousand one. This is two thousand six. And what's interesting is I didn't even realize this. This is the last feature film that Lynch has made. And it's literally been like 16, 17 years, which is a long ass time. And it doesn't really feel like it because he's been doing other stuff. He did Twin Peaks The Return in 2017. I think it's like a deal with Netflix right now. He was doing a bunch of stuff on YouTube, which I don't know if you've seen. He was like doing the weather reports. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. He literally (laughs) would be like, hey, it's David Lynch. This is... December 28th and the weather out lets a balmy, you know, 68 degrees or whatever. <laughs> what? It's like, what? Yeah, it was classic. But so he's been doing a lot of stuff, but it 
I didn't even realize he wasn't directing features, like, for a long-ass time. Yeah, what the fuck's going on? He needs to get back on it. I guess, but uh, as of now, this is his last one. Yeah. And it could be forever his last, so it's interesting to look at it almost as a culmination of his work because it it is, like, so lynchy. It yeah. is, like, so egregiously yeah, yeah, lynchy, yeah. you know what I mean? For sure. So it's, it's very interesting. What did you think about the acting? It took me a while to get comfortable with uh, the, the main character's acting. I don't know. It felt like too much or something. Like her, I don't know if it was like trying to be campy or something, but when she talks to fucking Laura Palmer's mom and is like... Oh yeah, Grace Zabritsky. Yeah, and it's just like, like her reactions and like the way she's like sort of interested just felt felt too much to me i think eventually i was sort of like okay i see i see what this character is doing but or like what some of the sides of her are doing but but yeah initially it was i was not super into it the other characters i thought were good i like the guy who like her co-star who was oh yeah also the um, yeah, director in Mulholland justin throw yeah he was awesome yeah one of my favorite scenes like just pure acting wise was when the husband threatens the justin throw um like upstairs I thought that was like yeah, that was a cool fucking scene. Sick, yeah. The crazy thing about this movie though is barely any of these characters like have that much screen time. Even Justin Throw is like yeah, in the first like that's true forty minutes, and then everybody drops out, and it's a lot of Laura Dern just like mm-hmm. talking one on one or being alone, and like it's it's very interesting. But I think she does an insanely good job. I know what you mean about that first scene where she's talking to, as you say, Laura Palmer's mom. Yeah. But everything about that scene is so weird that I, like, could not pinpoint her acting as, like, yeah. the weird part Yeah, of that. yeah, yeah. You know yeah. what that's, I mean? That's actually fair. Yeah. Um, there are so many scenes where it's, like, I'm so lost watching this movie. It would be so easy, I feel like, for Laura Dern, the actress, to, like, be lost. Mm. But I feel like she anchors it really well. So there's at least, like, something I can, you know, latch onto while watching it. Oh, that's, yeah, that's a great way of putting it. Yeah, I agree with that. I think also, like, the the scene where she is talking with that weird guy, like, up in that in that room up the stairs, the guy that's just, like, staring at yeah. her super intensely. Like, whatever, like, it's, like, a very different character than she is the, like, rest of the time. And, but it's, like, so, like, that, like, the dialogue and, like, the way she, like, just the way she tells him, like, all the different stories is so fucking weird. And, like, it, it feels, like, weirdly familiar, the character that she's doing. But, like, it's so profane. It, it's, it's like, a f- type of person that you feel like you kind of know, but to the extreme and with more, like, disgustingness and, like, profane uh, or, like, profanity, like, uh, looped in. Like, where, when she's, like, explaining about fucking the one guy and she's like says to him like like oh yeah he'll just like fuck the shit out of you or whatever is like kind of laughing yeah, and she bragging says he's like big like a rhinoceros yeah 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 like yeah. it's like super weird so yeah i thought that that scene really stuck out for me acting wise as well as when she like walks away um after getting like fake or whatever stabbed in that one scene yeah those both of those scenes were crazy the one you're talking about about like being in that room talking to this guy it's like almost seems like an interrogation but it's not it's very interesting that has some crazy dialogue and it definitely is like one of the scenes where the character is ostensibly playing another character it's like Mm -hmm. laura dern playing nikki whatever her name is playing sue and it's like what is going on and she's that character has like 
a southern accent, right? Yeah. But then sometimes Nikki, the actress, has like a southern accent when it's not necessarily yeah, supposed yeah, to yeah. be the film or not. And it's like just another layer to the mind fuckness. But you're right, dude. The dialogue in those scenes was so good. Yeah. <laughs> like, the rhinoceros shit was weird, but I also wrote down another where she's talking about like, she's talking about like being raped and shit. And it's like horrifying. And she's like, like cutting off these dudes, like like oh, ripping these yeah. dudes' testicles and shit, and she goes like, "He went down like a two dollar whore." Dude, yeah, yeah, <laughs> Which, that stuck out to me too. It's a great line, but also like that is a cheap ass fucking whore. Like, yeah. are you seriously yeah. paying a prostitute that, only yeah. two dollars? That's like, like your mother. D- okay, great, great. I'm very sorry. I didn't mean I, that. Your mother is a great woman. To her. Yeah, that that shit was yeah, honestly crazy. And yeah, a lot of the dialogue is just so good and like weird. Yeah, like the the one with I should call her her real name, but I already forgot the Laura Laura Palmer's mom. Um, yeah, I don't I don't even know her Twin Peaks character name. Her her character's (laughs) name is like Visitor Number One. It's super weird. That was like like some of that shit was just so cool. Like the weird stuff with time and the like. If it was after midnight, I'd probably think it was 9.45 or something like that. Like, this is just fucking bizarre. Yeah, it definitely has to do a lot with, like, time and the perception of time and, like, all this weird shit. And that's probably one reason why it's three fucking hours long. But it definitely was a lot. Like, it's just a big movie in every sense of the word. Very true. And it was, like, honestly pretty fucking scary at times. Um, I do think some of it was like, I think some of it kind of failed um, in that respect. Like the part towards the end where the guy's face gets all, it just looks like super cheap editing. It probably Bro, don't even talk to me about that part. That part was fucking scary as hell. What are you talking about? <laughs> I mean, the I, face I, is fucked up, dude. Dude, wait, did you? I thought it just looked like such cheap editing. Like to me, that looked like a. Like a meme from like 2003 or something. Dude, I mean, this movie's only 2006, but seriously, like, that face is horrifying to look at and how it, like, keeps, like, changing and degrading every time it like, cuts back to it. Yeah. It's absolutely horrifying, bro. And it's, like, looks like Laura Dern, but, like, bro, don't even talk to me about that face. <laughs> definitely, I agree with you. This movie was spooky as fuck. And it was spooky in, like, a lynch way where. For sure. He will take like certain innocuous shots. Like there was one of just lights like flashing on and off. He's like looking at a lamp and it's turning on and off. And there's a, you know, really sin- sinister musical cue. And suddenly, like, I'm laying in my bed watching this and I'm like, okay, I'm fucking creeped out now. Dude, there yeah. wasn't necessarily anything scary even on the screen, but like, I'm just so uneasy after this. Like, he just has a way with that type yeah, of stuff. Yeah, and I actually think that that's, like, horror at its best is, is, like, really, is, like, setting some type of atmosphere that feels just, like, uncomfortable, unfamiliar, and, like, there's some sinister force that is acting. And, like, some force that you don't understand and you don't understand, like, where it's coming from. Like, I, I feel like that is what makes something, like, actually creepy and, like, actually unnerving. And, yeah, he just fucking nails it too really well put and there's literally that in this film there's like this weird curse or this weird force and it seems to like have a physical form in the end when she's like shooting the shit out of it yeah yeah it's creepy as all hell (laughs) yeah 
yeah no it was it was honestly fucked even today when i was finishing it and like it was fucking during the day i was just like dude this shit and like the one scene where she the uh laura dern like like sort of runs up to the camera i was like fuck dude why you gotta do that to me lynch oh dude i know exactly what you're talking about that shit was freaky yeah and it was like random too it came out of nowhere yeah yeah exactly now the the rabbit I, oh man yeah there there's a bunch of stuff we gotta let's talk delve about into. the rabbits yeah okay let's talk about the rabbits so they i didn't really find the rabbits creepy honestly but there was something well uh, maybe maybe a little creepy but just like yeah okay so what is what is your understanding of the rabbits and how they tie into the shit and like what did they mean to you Okay, I have a little bit of a meta commentary about the rabbits, and it's that mm. I did a, a tiny bit of research. In 2002, Lynch came out with a web series on his website. He referred to it as a sitcom, and it's with these rabbits. Oh. And so all of the footage and like audio stuff is reused from this web series. And I went and watched a couple episodes, and it's literally like what we see. It's like... What? Really weird non sequiturs that they communicate in and the weird like AI sounding voices and the laugh track that's very disconcerting. The laughter is fucked. Yeah, it, so that makes it creepy to me. Yeah, that's true. But it's definitely very surreal. And so it's interesting to me that he like interpolated this footage into the film. And I think he actually like went back and reshot things on the sets when like the human characters like go there. Okay, interesting. But but yeah, in the context of the film, I have no fucking clue. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Me neither, man. Me neither. But definitely, it seems like... So that one... There's this one woman throughout the film who is, like, watching stuff yes. on the TV, right? She's, like... I, my interpretation is she's trapped in this room and, like, basically potentially like forced to like watch this stuff mm. on the tv and she's like crying as yeah. she's watching this weird ass fake rabbit sitcom and initially uh, she's just watching static right yes which is super creepy and i think and she's then, already crying right you you may definitely be right and then eventually she's watching it seems everything that's happening to laura dern's character and all of that yeah yeah okay let's talk about that character my interpretation was and this may be totally wrong. They're remaking this one film that was like never finished, right? And like mm -hmm. supposedly cursed. And yeah. they say like the main actors like died. It was like all this weird like stuff surrounding the production of that. And like they found something in the script or something like that. So my main interpretation is that the woman who we see trapped in this one room watching the TV is like the actress who mm. was potentially killed. And she's like, she or like her soul or her spirit or whatever is like trapped in this room. Uh, maybe potentially being like tortured, like watching all of this mm. weird ass like rabbit shit. That's like not actually entertaining or anything. Um, and then that's why in the end, Laura Dern comes in and like, basically saves her by like completing the film and killing the dude who like was holding her hostage mm. which is or not not the dude but you know the creepy thing which has the face yeah which is basically the thing that they like found in the script that was like cursing it and like shit like that okay but you know i'm not i'm not sure at all if that's true and then obviously but i do think she's like saved in some sense and like goes and sees what seems like to be her husband and son and they're all happy and shit 
Okay, interesting. Uh, I love that interpretation. Um, that's a lot more than I had for that character. I yeah, I felt a little conflicted on the saving scene because it was like it's such a quick part at the end of the movie. It's it's actually pretty sweet though. Like I love I love that final song um, and the like white slash blue light and like that sort of like redemption vibe is is pretty sweet. But to me, it didn't it didn't quite feel real or complete. Like it it, it felt. I don't know, like not fully satisfactory. Like it was sort of like a, a surface redemption, but the that like most of the creepiness and like the weird forces and shit that was like ninety nine percent of the movie w- was still there. I could see that. I definitely agree. Like it's not a resolution in a in a normal sense, like narrative resolution, happy ending. Right. But to me, it did seem like. I mean, there's like a whole like song and dance number with like yeah. the prostitutes at the end right yeah so, <laughs> it doesn't seem like super overtly creepy like the preceding uh, most of the film either so it's very interesting yeah i i yeah i'll I, I mean i'm definitely gonna rewatch this film and i'll be open to it being just like a a nice positive ending um but yeah, no, yeah. no, I agree with you for sure. It's not, it's not definitely just like oh, they all live happily ever after. There's definitely some under undercurrent mm. of the the themes of the entire film that still still lurk that are still present. Okay, yeah, yeah, got you. I also was like, hmm, this film like needs another watch to to like analyze it deeper. And then I was like, well, I don't want to watch it again though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, you know. Definitely in a few years, I'll probably screw up the courage to, to try again, but it doesn't make me like want to rewind it and just start again. Dude, I agree, honestly. And like, yeah, even as we were talking about this, I was thinking the same thing because I was like, man, I want to rewatch this and I want to like just get more in tune with what it's conveying emotionally. But it it's a difficult watch. Like it's it's fucking creepy. Like it just is. It's just like a very unsettling movie. And it's like there's not really a whole lot of reprieve and like Mulholland Drive is sort of creepy but it's more just like got this sort of cynical vibe to it like you're just in a universe that is fucked and getting more fucked and like you're seeing that play out in various ways but this is like like you actually feel unsafe for like most of the time that you're watching Totally. So you would you wouldn't say this overtook Mulholland Drive to be your favorite film of all time? No, but I also like I also way more connected with Mulholland Drive on subsequent watches than the first one. So I, I do think it's possible, but I think the sheer discomfort of watching it would probably hold it back from ever being able to overtake Mulholland Drive. Yeah, that makes perfect sense to me. I probably feel the same way. A lot of people do say that this is Lynch's masterpiece, or at least one of his, and. To me, I could see that, but also it's not as easy of a watch as some of his other films. And it's definitely it's definitely super challenging. I would not just like throw this on after a long day at work yeah, or like on a yeah. first date or something like that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I do think that holds it back, but of course that has to be part of the point. And I'm sure fucking Lynch is a crazy dude. He makes crazy films. Yeah. He definitely is trying to experiment with unconventional narratives and just unconventional everything in this film so yeah for sure yeah his purposes do hold it back for me but that might be my own 
problem and not the films. See, that that's just evidence of your own unenlightenment. Exactly. I need to just watch it every day, three times a day. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I, I agree. And honestly, like some of the shots um, and like, so, yeah, like the sort of cheap handheld shots and like the like really intense close-ups and just the everyone being very weird and off putting in a kind of over the top way it kind of reminded me of some adult swim shows that i used to be really into it when i was in high school yeah that actually honestly made it harder for me to enjoy some of those shots because just like it reminded me of like just like tim and eric and like uh weird shit like that Dude, I absolutely agree, especially like the rabbit sitcom thing. Yeah. That totally feels like just one step removed from some of these really like surrealist, edgy adult shows or whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think it's, yeah, it's because it's like just being, having surreal shit going on is not enough to be like an interesting piece of art worth, worth consuming. But it can be hard. I mean, I feel like part of a piece of art like this is it's it's actually kind of hard to decipher. You you have to put in work to see if there's actually something worth seeing there, basically, because of like just how inscrutable it, it often is on first glance. Definitely, fucking Lynch, dude. Why you gotta make this shit inscrutable? <laughs> yeah. Screw it. Let me screw it for it, me. Make bro. it scrutable. <laughs> yeah, please. I just want to screw it a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but so yeah because it's like you can just put a bunch of like weird feeling scenes together that don't like fit together and it'll still you'll still get something out of it but like ideally there's more to it and like Mulholland Drive for me feels like the textbook case of their of there being more to it but it's still following that same kind of set of surrealist rules I totally agree yeah and literally if there was no meaning in this film we would just like fill in the gaps and create meaning but mm. since it is Lynch since I I trust him I do think there there is some deeper meaning here just that we're not necessarily yeah. supposed to like understand it um but oh, what was the other thing I was gonna say uh, it's just like yum yum <laughs> <laughs> oh yes of course oh okay no i i know what i was gonna say about the making of this film i read that there was no master script and so wow lynch literally just like came up with ideas for like three to four months and obviously he had ideas and themes and scenes i'm sure he really knew were part of the film and wanted to put in but also it was him you know like over the course of the production coming up with shit and like filming new things and just like putting it in. And so lead actress Laura Dern like absolutely did not know the full story. Like I doubt anybody wow. did. I'm not even sure if David freaking Lynch did probably, but it just makes more sense. Like you said, it kind of is a bunch of unrelated surrealist scenes. Just I'm sure he had some specific themes and ideas that he wanted to explore with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, that that sounds right. That that definitely sounds right. And that reminds me of this one clip of of him that I've seen where it's like, I think it's yeah, it's it's for Twin Peaks and he's in the studio and he's getting delivered the news that they like have to have some scene finished by like I don't know Monday and it's Friday or something. Yeah, something. I've seen. Yeah, this, and he's yeah. like, he's like, no, he like, gets pissed. As hell. He gets really pissed, and he's like, he's like, that doesn't give me any space to get dreamy or something like that. And it's like, it totally, I totally get how that's the kind of vibe 
that you're that he's trying to get into with it. Like he's trying to get just let his weird fucking subconscious run around and like connect things in like this weird subterranean way and then like like throw it at us. And that yeah, that doesn't seem like something you can just kind of sit down and do. Yeah, I think that makes the most sense. But it's very interesting, nonetheless. It makes for a very intriguing viewing experience. Yeah. But I do, dude, I want to ask you about that crazy fucking scene where she gets stabbed and she's like, dude, puking yeah, blood. Oh, yeah, we had to talk and about then, Yeah, dude, yo, what the fuck yeah. is going on there, bro? Talk yeah. to me about it. Yeah, yeah, okay. One, one quick thing that I wanted to mention, just so I don't forget it, is that there's just this random, okay. this random quote where, the, uh, where I think it's Laura Dern says, uh, so it says this sounds like dialogue from our script. <laughs> Do you remember that? Yes, dude. That scene is actually fucking crazy, because that's basically when shit starts going super weird, and the like lines between the film and the reality start to like really blur. Yeah, and that uh, line really hits. You're you're like, wait, what? The, how the fuck is she saying that? Like that makes no that makes no fucking sense. Yeah, because yeah. basically it seems like they are actually like filming the movie at that time. Yes. And so it's like, wait, like what you you didn't realize? Like it's so crazy. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, anyways, I just wanted to mention that because that, that that line just like was so like jarring to me when I heard it. But um, but yeah, the scene where she gets stabbed is so fucking weird. I did think that she actually got stabbed, and I got fooled again when she just like got up and started walking yeah and then they're talking because you have you have this like homeless lady and then this maybe homeless couple this asian girl and black guy that are sitting down both without shoes on the black dude has socks on and then uh they're just talking with this this lady and they start arguing about whether like there's a bus that goes to pomona and it's just and like like literally like laura dern goes straight to that like she she's walking with a purpose after being stabbed and then collapses right in the middle of this group and then they like barely pay attention to her and then the asian girl and the homeless lady start having like this weird debate and then eventually the asian girl starts just like like ranting about some crazy shit <laughs> Dude, yeah, they seem so unperturbed by her like vomiting blood and chilling there. Yeah, uh, and then of course uh, she starts having that monologue about her friend who wears the wig yeah, and, yeah. and is like turning tricks and has a hole in her vagina wall. Oh yeah, and has the monkey who shits everywhere. It's like what the fuck. The dialogue is honestly sick, but it's also like so weird and random. Yeah, it doesn't make any fucking sense at all honestly it doesn't even make sense why they're all fucking there yeah it doesn't even make sense in the context of this film that they're making yeah no exactly which is i think part of why maybe it's like another kind of trick because it's i think it's part of why you're like or at least why i was like okay this this has to be real what's going on here because it's just like so absurd and then the um the homeless lady like kind of tries to guide dern's death in this way which was like also super interesting um like like with like putting the the flame of the, the lighter. lighter in front of her and like sort of like comforting her and she like weirdly kind of knew what to say to like point her in the right direction even though she was just arguing about some like banal bullshit above her dying body a second ago yeah very a very odd juxtaposition 
I totally agree. And when it zooms out and you see the camera, and I was literally like, fuck you, David. Yeah, yeah. Like, what the shitting hell yeah. is this, dude? Yeah. It was super crazy. It was definitely a surprise to me. Although I maybe should have seen it, like you're saying. It, it like it seems so absurd that it should be real, but then it yeah almost doesn't make sense in reality too. Like, why is she saying these specific <laughs> yeah, things? They're yeah. like not trying to like call the police or anything yeah. or like do anything, but then she's like doing this weird specific lighter stuff. So it doesn't make sense in like any context. She seems like she doesn't even realize that they're filming then, because she gets really yeah true spacey and the director like comes and hugs her and she's like what is going on and she just like walks away and then goes to this fucking next sequence where she's like watching the the movie theater screen which is absolutely crazy oh yeah that was a sick fucking scene although i agree yeah i mean it was cool because she was like watching all this shit that has already happened like with her in it and then there's this like weird like shot of this guy and then she t- she's standing physically in the movie theater, just looking up like, like like sort of aghast at what she's seeing. And then she looks over and like sees the guy, like that is on screen, like that exact shot in the movie is what's happening at that moment. And then he just walks up the stairs. Yeah, there's a there's a bunch of stuff like that in this movie. It feels like so meta, like when the girl in the room starts watching herself watch herself on the TV. Yeah. It's definitely, like, a lot of stuff about, like, watching the screens and then the screens being, like, a reflection of what you're watching or whatever. I don't know. It's, dude, <laughs> it's so confusing. Yeah. No, it's it's just super fucking weird. But it's really cool. Yeah. What the fuck did the prostitutes mean? Like, what was going on with them? What was the dancing? What was the snapping? Like, how, how are you piecing that together? I have no clue, but I did read a thing where, so the tagline of the film is called like a woman in trouble, I think it is. Mm-hmm. So somebody's interpretation I read was that the whole film was about that and that it had all of these different women in trouble all of the time. Potentially mm-hmm. Laura Dern is playing all of these different characters. We have the Laura Dern who is acting in the film. We have the Laura Dern who is stabbed. We have the Laura mm-hmm. Dern who is has the possessive controlling husband who is being really weird to her coworker. We have all of these Laura Dern's in trouble. We have all of these prostitutes and and things who, you know, so mm. potentially the whole movie is like about that. And then at the end when they're all like after she shoots the weird creature phantom thing, uh the girl watching the TV sees like two of the prostitutes like running down the hall happily. Like, maybe they have escaped from that. And then in the end, of course, they're, like, all dancing together and happy. So it could be, like, <laughs> this is so simple, but that they're, like, out of the trouble now. Oh, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Metaphorically. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I see that. Okay, yeah, that, uh, that, that makes sense. Interesting. Yeah, I honestly wasn't sure what to make. Of them, I just knew that I really didn't like them, <laughs> and that I always, <laughs> I, I always felt bad if they were around. They were always doing some fucking confusing ass shit that I didn't understand. It was weird because they were like kind of like just bums mostly, um, with kind of lame perspectives. Like the one girl who's just like, ah, just find someone else, and then, but then they had this, yeah, this weird like sort of 
cosmic surrealist power and fuckery involved with them and that just maybe i was just always uncomfortable with them i agree it was pretty uncomfortable but lynch has like a weird fascination like the women portrayed in his films are always very interesting i mean he always has some violence against women in his films this was Mm. no exception uh they had something to do with the overall themes of the movie but i agree a lot of the prostitute stuff i was either like super confused about or uncomfortable the one i I don't even know if she was a prostitute she's like showing her breasts and stuff oh yeah what is even going on in this scene yeah not that i was complaining but (laughs) yeah that that was weird and they were like oh they're so cute or whatever the fuck they said it's like okay (laughs) (laughs) yeah like what the hell is going on like let me see them now yeah what they're clearly fake too they're implants yeah that's my critique of David Lynch's in- Inland Empire. So the only breasts yeah. you see are clearly implants. <laughs> right, right. Zero out of five yeah. stars. And no pointy bras. Fucking bullshit. Oh, dude, that is a deal breaker for yeah. me. Bring them back, man. If anyone would be <laughs> Bring- behind pointy bras, I would think it would be David Lynch. I think I'll, I'll start a petition. I'll send him a letter. We'll get this thing going. Dude, yeah, I feel like it'll work. As long as you do it in like a weird way... And, like, probably, I feel like he would be into it if, like, you did it in a super weird way where you didn't really acknowledge his status uh, above you and just sort of, like, said it as if he obviously has to do it. I think that is your best chance. I think you're right. It's already set in motion by this very podcast. That's beautiful. That's what we're about here at Film Flam. That's right. Dude, I don't even know, I don't even know if I have anything to say about Inland, ugh, yeah. about Inland Empire. Besides the fact of the name... My only interpretation of why it's called Inland Empire is obviously it's set in California, has to do with Hollywood mm. a little bit, but also apparently there is no set like boundary for the Inland Empire. It's mm. like very nebulous what the certain it's like where where and what it consists of. And so maybe potentially that has to do with there are the boundaries between the reality mm. and the dream and the film, and it's all very nebulous, and so yeah. that just is reflected in the title. I'm not sure. The Polish people say it at one point. I, I couldn't follow oh, those yeah. scenes. Yeah, yeah. I'm a bad film critic. Same. Um, no, you're you're definitely better than Film Flam, Sean, though. That, yeah, I dude, I, yeah, I don't fucking know. I mean, I feel like this discussion has been pretty scattered and all over the place and confused. And I think that's just a, a kind of a symptom of the movie and of only having seen it once. Like, I feel like to to really do this justice, you either have to probably be like Roger Ebert or something or have seen it multiple times. But yeah, you, you just come away like kind of like interested and confused with a bunch of random thoughts that are vaguely connected <laughs> but um but yeah yeah i think that's kind of part of what it's going for i mean there, there were a couple other things for me like the the shots like sort of midway through the movie where the prostitutes i think it's the prostitutes although they actually have a decent amount of clothes on in this so i don't i don't know for sure but where they're um <laughs> where they're all dancing and there's like the kind of light flashing as they're doing it and it's just like weirdly upbeat and they're like shaking around and shit that reminded me a little bit of the opening scene of Mulholland Drive where there's like the sort of like silhouettes of like there's there's the couple dancing but it's like a bunch of couples and then it's like there's sort of silhouettes and it's just like this weirdly it's like the because you had the weird sort of like 
cynical, like fucked up vibe, like Lynch vibe. But then you have just this like upbeat dancing, just like in your fucking face that like feels like it's <laughs> like it, it weirdly enhances the, the creepy vibe. And I don't, yeah, I don't know if you remember that bit from Mulholland Drive, but it kind of gave me a, a, a similar feel. Yeah, and don't in the Inland Empire scene, don't the girls like disappear like all of a sudden? Yes, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. so I agree with you on, on all of that. It's very interesting, and the parallels are definitely there. But also, like, why are they dancing and then they are not yeah. there anymore? Dude, I don't know. I don't know. And it's like. Yeah, I don't know. It's fucking weird. It kind of reminds me of, like, Discreet Charm. I feel like I've just kept choosing these weird surrealist films. But, um, I mean, Discreet Charm, it was like, shit didn't make sense, but it felt like the point was to be like, fuck you. Like, try and make sense of this and you're going to fail. And that was like, yeah, kind of part of the thesis of the movie. With this, I don't... I mean, I feel like there's an element of that, of like, a, yeah, like, like I'm David Lynch and you're not going to, like, understand all of this. But I also feel like there is there, there are probably ways of like decoding it that actually make some sense or at least have some sort of emotional resonance. And that, that for me is what's cool about David Lynch too. No, definitely. Like it's not just like we were saying, some random fucking surrealist shit. There's yeah. definitely some ideas, some emotions, some thought behind it. And I do see the comparison to Discrete Charm, although Literally, now that I've seen this, Discreet Charm is more accessible. And I yeah. understood that film better than this one. Isn't that crazy? I feel like when we started... It's the, actually crazy, yeah. When we started that, that episode on Discreet Charm, I was just like, Jesus fucking Christ, I hope Colin has something because I'm so confused. And then we kind of... <laughs> but honestly, we kind of stumbled through it, which again, I feel like is a testament to the Film Flam podcast. It's like, this is kind of like in dialogue, it, like with you know another smart person it's like helps to kind of figure figure all this stuff out um but yeah th this one was kind of a whole beast of its own um and then the one final thought i had was i just i liked some of the music in the movie and like yeah you um i don't think all of our film flam listeners know but you know that i'm uh into ambient music and one thing that i recently read about ambient music that i liked was someone was making the point like ambient music should uh, should like sound like it would go well with a movie or like it should sound like it could like be played like behind some sort of like meaningful event happening. And uh, yeah, I felt like the the music um, in, in this movie like really did enhance the, the vibe and the meaning that they were going for. And it kind of, yeah, it just kind of reminded me of why I like ambient music. So that's just some little tidbit that I, that I took from it. Dude, I totally agree. Did you know that David Lynch did the music for this film? Are you fucking serious? Dude? Isn't that absolutely crazy? He was definitely going auteur all over this motherfucker, doing the editing, fucking doing the the sound design and the composition. And I definitely wow. felt the same way about the music. A lot of it, a lot of it was fucking scary as hell. In the end of the towards the yeah. end, when she's like walking down these hallways, and there's like this cool like very eerie piano line going and there's a lot of like dark sounding fucking shit i was like damn this is cool it's really adding to the experience and i was really impressed that yeah. uh, i mean i know he's made music he has like albums that he put out with angelo badalamenti and stuff like that so i was i was impressed and i agree the sound design and the music was really cool yeah sweet that's i mean fucking crazy i can't i just can't believe that I know. He's a artist. I mean, he he paints, he does music, he does movies. What doesn't this man do? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, honestly. He's got gray hair. He does. He does. But that's that's more of a genetic thing. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> no, it's, dude, this is the way he styles it. Yeah. But, oh, that, uh, yeah, that is true. I agree. Let me really briefly uh, read some yes letterbox uh, reviews yeah. for this. Are you down? Yeah, let's fucking go. I've curated a few. Beautiful. This guy, Shane McAvoy, says, Scary. Cool to finally see this. Not nearly as impenetrable as it's made out to be. Debatable. But he does say that Terry Crews plays street person number three, (laughs) which is crazy. Me and my brother were both like, yo, is that Terry Crews? Like, just chilling on the street with this Asian girl? Uh, Yeah. Shane McAvoy goes on to say, in 2005, I was working my first job at a Jamba Juice in Pasadena, and Terry Crews was a regular customer. There's a good chance I made the orange dream machine that fueled his performance as street person number three. Holy shit. <laughs> I think that's hysterical. That is amazing. And it is impenetrable, and if not, then you should be teaching us at Film Flam. Yeah. Uh, Lauren says, this movie is three hours long. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. Mad says, this happened to my buddy Erica. <laughs> that was funny. That's that a good one. They only give it three and a half stars, though. Oh, man. I don't know what I would give it, but uh, maybe maybe four stars. This guy yeah. says, something is happening. The hell if I know what it is. My favorite Lynch. Yeah. And he gave it five full stars. That's a, that's a great way to describe the appeal of David Lynch right there. Dude, this guy... He says, this is the most David Lynch film David Lynch has made. It's pure Lynchian incarnate. Everything about his style is turned up to 11. It's his longest movie, his biggest use of dream logic, and the one he had the most control over making. Very interesting. Mm. I think I agree with a lot of this. It is kind of his style turned up to 11. But this guy gave it one star and said, does that make for a good movie? No, the answer is absolutely not. This is a train wreck. Lynch's worst movie by a mile, and that includes Dune. Holy that shit. That dude savage moded him. Whoa. I wouldn't agree I wouldn't agree with that. That was like the best setup to just brutally tear down this movie. Jesus fuck. It really is. Oh dude, and if you'll permit me a small uh digression, yeah. this guy Jake Cole, back in two thousand twelve, wrote that he thinks of Finnegan's Wake a lot when watching watching Lynch movies, especially this one. Do you know about Finnegan's Wake? I do not. I think you'll be really interested in it. So it's this book that uh, James Joyce wrote, and it's actually crazy. He spent like over a decade working on this book. It's like hundreds and hundreds of pages long. It's really intense, and it's basically unreadable to the average person. It's basically made up of like all of these multilingual puns and portmanteaus. Uh, most people think it was his attempt to evoke a dream state through oh, the written word, like wow. kind of what it would be. So it's like super crazy to read, but I really think that is an interesting comparison talking about Lynch, him using lots of experimental and different camera and film yeah. language to evoke his dream uh, states and i think yeah you should check out finnegan's wake i think you would really think it was cool dude yeah in an interesting kind of way yeah that's sweet that that sounds um that sounds interesting and yeah the movie like obviously feels like dreamy as fuck like just yeah the whole time totally i mean and like how how certain things are like kind of almost right but still wrong in like a dreamy way like the um, not either this is like so much almost right, but the sex scene between yeah, yeah, that one is just I wrote like that down. it's so fucked and weird. Like like 
she's talking a lot during it, which she kind of makes a joke about. And you're like, okay, now that's going to, like, that was kind of the smooth movement into, like, more normal sex. But then, then yeah, it just, like, the, the way that they're fucking is weird. Then, like, some creepy, like, the, the husband guy is, like, coming up behind. And it's just this horrible fucking vibe. And it's, like, it, it totally fits that that sort of dream, like, prototype of, like, things start out kind of normal but a little bit wrong and then they just like corrode into chaos from there <laughs> literally yes like i can i can't say anything else besides <laughs> i agree with you wholeheartedly so weird when the dude is like coming and watching them i'm like fuck no dude. like lynch loves his voyeurism he does yeah i honestly that part i don't know how much i vibe with like the like i remember there's one shot i think it's before she gets stabbed and, like, the intro to the scene, I think, just starts, you're just kind of, like, focusing on this chick's cleavage, and then it pans up. And it's like... Oh, yeah. Like, is that... Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> is that really doing something for the movie? Maybe. I don't know. Maybe it's... Sean, yeah. you were the one focusing on the cleavage, not Lynch. Holy shit. Mind fucking blown, dude. Okay. <laughs> Couple more reviews. Groove Man rated this five stars, and his entire review is a question mark. One single question mark. Dude, the Letterboxd people have, like, there's a brand of Letterboxd humor, which is kind of interesting. Like, these, a lot of these sound like they could have been written by the same person, you know? Well, there is one written by the same person, Groove Man, and he put a question mark <laughs> to the second power. That's his whole review. <laughs> nice. Yeah, that's good. Okay, last one. This guy gave it five stars. And his review consists of the words, I know exactly what happened. <laughs> I don't think he's being entirely truthful, uh, but Dude, I can't yeah. prove that. <laughs> Bro, yeah, this is like, letterbox people are interesting. Any last words or can we go on to our, our mailbox here? We can go into our mailbox, man. So this is, Again, you can email us at realfilmflampod at gmail.com. Link in the bio once I've actually written it. Um, that's real film flambot at gmail.com <laughs> yeah we should get like an 800 number that people can leave 1-800 okay, David Lynch I is my daddy yeah yeah <laughs> open up this email <laughs> yeah, so. I may have told somebody to send us an email and that's where this is comfortable I doubt it I've, oh my fucking god it's Johnny Vagina <laughs> Jesus Christ <laughs> okay don't even okay. yeah just read this out loud I just want to know don't okay. even pre-read it okay to read on the next pod that is the subject line and i will just comment that if you email us we will read it on the podcast the, oh my god this is, this is long the sun and once again this is johnny vagina the sun dipped below the horizon casting a warm glow over the quaint town colin and sean found i dude i i feel like i'm gonna be a casualty in this email i'm just making that prediction now. <laughs> colin and sean found themselves in a cozy little cafe surrounded by the comforting aroma of freshly brewed coffee the atmosphere was easygoing matching the connection the two had developed over the years colin what? with a teasing glint in his eyes what? raised his cup in a mock toast quote to unexpected adventures and enduring friendships dot 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 and maybe just maybe to something more he declared with a sly smile Sean chuckled, what the heck? his cheeks flushing slightly as he clinked his cup against <laughs> No, Collins. dude, is this a Quote, gay fanfic? The, dude, dude, okay, hold on. Hold on, Johnny Vagina. You cannot... 
I'm sorry. I have to pre-read this. I, I no, no, not, no. Don't. You not. can't. Just, just say it. Just go for it. I need you to know. You want me to read, to just read, without checking it, yes. gay erotica of you and myself. I do. Wholeheartedly. All right. Please. I, I, but just know I'm doing it for you and not Johnny Vagina. But here we go. Sean chuckled, his cheeks flushing si- slightly as he <laughs> clinked his cuff against Collins. Quote, here's to that, my friend. As they sat there, sipping their coffee and sharing laughter, the conversation took on a new depth. They spoke of dreams not just as individuals but as intertwined souls, painting a shared canvas of hopes and aspirations. Outside, the evening breeze rustled through the leaves, adding a gentle melody to their conversation. A street musician sat up nearby, strumming a romantic tune on his guitar. The rhythmic sound created a backdrop for the scene, turning the ordinary cafe into a haven of romance. Their laughter softened into shared smiles, and their eyes held a warmth that went beyond friendship. Underneath the soft glow of the cafe lights, Colin reached across the table, his fingers gently grazing Sean's hand. (laughs) A subtle, unspoken acknowledgement passed between them as if the universe itself conspired to bring them closer. As the night deepened, the two friends decided to take a stroll through the town, Underneath the starlit sky, they walked down the cobblestone streets, their shoulders brushing against each other. The air was Dude, filled with a sweet tension. Dude, why is this so fucking long? Silent, I don't know. A silent admission of feelings that lingered beneath them, between them. In the quiet moments between words, Colin and Sean discovered the profound beauty of romance, the shared glances that held secrets and the unspoken promises that made their connection more profound. And so beneath the canvas of the night sky in the heart of their beloved town, Colin and Sean continued their journey where the ordinary became extraordinary and friendship blossomed into something beautifully romantic. All right. I think that this is terrible. And Wait, was that all of it? If you, That was all of it. Oh, it, I, it never got as overtly sexual as I was not hoping, no, but uh, and, just expecting. And that I do appreciate. Oh, well, yeah. Do you want to react to that first? Uh, as our inaugural email, I think it's a win. I think uh, I think it shows real real verve to send it, and uh, I appreciate it. You know, it's kind of like our first fan mail in a sense. Okay, so you think that that was a win? I think that was a one. I think that was garbage. That was nonsense. That was not even related to our podcast or okay. any films that we covered. Well, that's that's right. Uh, I actually have another one here that was uh, sent in by one of our, our avid listeners. Um, his name is Gabriel, and his message reads... Gabriel, thank uh, you for writing in, Gabriel, wherever you're writing in from. Subject line is, Sean has bad taste. He says, the title of this email is a joke, of course. You both have many insightful takes, and I really enjoy the pod. Thank you very much, Gabriel. But for real, sometimes I feel like Sean misses the most obvious shit. What is up with that? Is that all? Is that the whole message? That's everything. Uh, What do you think about that there? I mean, I, I can't help but disagree with it. You know, I'm not sure that I agree either. I think Sean really carries the pod. I'm really in debt to him for <laughs> everything he does. That is definitely not true. <laughs> uh, 
and like anybody has shit to talk to him, you can come to me first, and I'll fucking beat <laughs> stuffing out of you. <laughs> I really, uh, I really appreciate that. I definitely disagree with one point, though. I do think you're the one to carry the pod. I will say, I think this, if this is the Gabriel I'm thinking of, it's it's someone that I know well. Yeah, I appreciate you writing, and I appreciate your feedback. For our listeners, this is a guy who uh, watches. Uh, most movies probably in like TikTok sized chunks, so I don't know about uh, about taste from this guy. But hey, what are you gonna do? These are, these are our two write-ins, so we will. Thank honor you them. very much, Gabriel. Thank you very much, Johnny Vagina. Uh, we we really appreciate your support of the pod and you writing into Real Film Flam Pod. Is that it? What the fuck is the? That's right. RealFilmFlamPod.gmail.com, baby. Thank you, Johnny, and thank you, Gabe. All right. Till next time. Adios. Film Flam, baby. (laughs) Film Flam.